Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 34, Halloween Havoc 1989. Settling the score. Is it 1-1? 2-2? One, 7-0? One? Two, uh, maybe like negative one zero. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the score is, yeah, so yeah. how are we settling? Uh, yeah, I, what is the score to settle the especially I mean that doesn't that really makes no sense with the headlining match, the, the marquee I mean, match. They had the big brawl but at the end of Great American Battle. What's the score? There's nothing on the line really outside of like They just don't like each other. Yeah, pride ish. Also Halloween Havoc and it's like settling the score and it's like that's not very that's not very That's spooky. That's not spooky. That's not spooky. I want spooky. The, uh, the intro song is pretty spooky. It's very good. The intro song is pretty cool. Matt was playing air keyboard to it, which is my favorite air instrument. I don't know if you knew this about me, but uh, it worked. I'm a big air bass guy. Oh, yeah, air bass. I've seen Rush multiple times live, and most time if you go to a show, like you don't see a lot of air instruments in general, but if you go to like a dad rock show, you'll yeah. see like some air guitar. But at a Rush show, you see equal amounts of all three things. Honestly, you see less air guitar than anything else, which is kind of a shame because Alex Lifeson is extremely underrated. But like you see lots of air drums, lots of air bass, some a good amount of air guitar. But like the other two things, even you even get a little bit of air keyboard as well. Fun fact: I thought about going for the air guitar world championships one time. Oh, really? Yeah, that's funny. I think the people that are best at air guitar don't know how to play the guitar, so it's even better because they're not worried about it. It's all they. It's a, the they're having fun with it. Yeah, it's like the performance and like they're still they're still doing it. So Halloween Havoc '89 was the inaugural Halloween Havoc produced by WCW under the NWA banner, and the event would take place on October 28th, 1989, at the Philadelphia Civic Center. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So this is this is not the twenty three hundred arena. This is not the twenty three hundred arena. It's probably very close to it. I, I'm not really sure exactly uh, what what kind of size the Civic Center is. Yeah, it's definitely. Was, I mean, it's a good looking venue. I like the, the look of the venue. Uh, they drew an attendance of seventy three hundred people, which is about normal for a WCW NWA show. Yeah, for point. for a good one. During uh, this time. About a week prior to the show, Pretty Hate Machine. That's so crazy to me that like, because you look at these shows and you're like, ah, Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. The Sorry debut Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I am not a Nine Inch Nails guy. I am not either. I'm not a Nine Inch Nails guy, but I know every fucking single second and sound and word to this record. <laughs> and I love this fucking record. I mean, if you probably played it for me, I'd probably recognize it. Oh, but I, I absolutely love it. It doesn't sound like... Other, I mean, it still sounds like Nine Inch Nails, but this is the only one that I truly care about. But I love it, and I know every fucking. It's, I know it like the back of my hand, like. But it's the, the sound of it is very like, it's like 
thin and aggressive and you know it's this record is great and it comes out 89 like what's the big you know depeche mode Mm -hmm. you know violator okay oh well that record is also like quote like kind of known for doing stuff for industrial music although this is like way fucking harder uh obviously and it sounds great, and it still has that 80s sound, but it comes out before even, like, the best Depeche Mode record. Well, when it's I crazy. Saw, when I saw that this album came out, I was like, this it came out in 89? Yeah, 89. I was like, that's insane yeah. to me. Honestly, there are probably, like, albums by Nine Inch Nails that people like better, or the ones that are like, oh, this is their best work, but this is the only one for me, and this album gets me pumped up, and it rules. Because, like... It doesn't. The other stuff doesn't sound quite like this. Listen to Pretty Hate Machine. It is a blast. It's got a lot of energy, and an energy that you don't, you can't really get anywhere else. I might have to do that. It's. It reminds me also of my buddy getting uh, my first friend that got a car. He got a in like we would drive around in the winter, in just in the neighborhood, because we didn't have anywhere to go. And like smoke weed and listen to this record with like the heat blasted but the windows down. It was very silly, but and neither of us were big Nine Inch Nails guys. We just really liked this one record. Everyone has that one album. Yeah, it's like I some there's some so many bands that I'm like oh, this this is the record, and I was like I don't think I need anything else. Or I try to get into other stuff. I'm like like fuck. Like I'm kind of I think I'm tapped out. I tapped out. I get that. And Jay Ward of Rocky and Bullwinkle fame would pass away a couple weeks prior to this is show. he the creator or a voice the, actor? He's the head of the production company that made Rocky and Bullwinkle and Sherman's... Yeah. Uh, Mr. Mr. Peabody and Sherman yeah. and everything. Were you a were you a big Rocky and Bullwinkle? Or I, like, I like Rocky and, and Bullwinkle uh, quite a bit. My I had a friend when I was in elementary school. So, like, I would say third or fourth grade and he became like my best friend and he was like my first friend who had nerdy parents his and was into nerdy stuff yeah and that's when i realized that i liked nerdy shit like the the guy that like showed me he was also very very smart for a kid uh his age so he was a nerd he was a total nerd but like i'm not a i'm not smart at all i just like nerdy shit you just portray one on tv yeah exactly i'm just i'm just a big bang theory yeah but i'm less good at math than they are but i don't have a script anyway uh, his dad was a huge Rocky and Bowwinkle fan, and he had every single episode of Rocky and Bowwinkle on VHS tape. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. His his house was fun to go to because like his dad would play video games, so he always had like he had like the Genesis thing where you like I think the thirty two X. He had the thirty two X, so I'd go over there and play like the like X Wing game on it uh, nice. and stuff. And but yeah, that was also where I got introduced to like. Star Wars, like I stayed over at his house and we're like, we're gonna stay up, and we're gonna watch all three movies, and we like got to the end of the first one and passed out because we were like in like third grade, but we were very excited to think that we could pull it off. I grew up, I don't even remember if it was on like Nickelodeon or Rocky and Bowwinkle did do reruns on Nickelodeon. Okay, yeah, I was like, because I remember watching reruns of the show and. I always was, yeah. I always enjoyed No, it's really fun. I was a huge Mr. It's, Peabody it's, and Sherman. Yeah, I think I my loved, mom liked Mr. Peabody and Sherman more, but they were I think, normally that's, just, I think that's why I'm a I think because of that dynamic is why I'm more of a um, Pinky in the Brain. Pinky in the Brain fan because it's just 
yeah, it's the, the same, same, ki- same kind of dynamic yeah. kind of thing. But Peabody and Sherman, I feel like that sh- it was just like a backup to. Yeah, Bully it was. Bull. It was. It, it wasn't a, its own show. If it was its own show, it wasn't on for nearly as long. No, I think it did break off into its own show at one point, but, but it was basically like just a segment of the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. I always liked it, but like I just love the you know over the top. Boris and Natasha and like they're oh, yeah. always like stuck on a balloon somewhere <laughs> like yeah, in a hot air balloon and it's it's fun they did I think they made a live action movie that we don't need to talk about you've already talked about it more than I wanted to <laughs> yeah yeah I was like I'm just it was just a memory but uh Rocky Bowwinkle is cool and where's my Rocky and Bowwinkle on streaming media uh it's probably on, on the Warner archives um, that's that all will... rant I'm not willing to get into but holy shit but who knows? Yeah. Maybe it'll be available at some point. Let's head off onto the show. We get a video with Halloween elements showing gravestones. Oh, uh, the gravestones are cool. It's like, it's, you know who the gravestones are, right? Flair, Sting, Muda, and Funk. Yes. And then it goes to the logo of the show. Which we all know. Well, no, this one's a little different. Yeah, it's, it's not a, the most famous one. No, it's not. I mean, it has the like scary looking letters yeah, for yeah. Halloween Havoc. But it's not right? the like later one. I have a Halloween Havoc t-shirt because I got it for very cheap. I should have wore it tonight. Jim Ross and Bob Cottle welcome us to the show. And then Gordon Solis in the back in front of some black ropes with skeleton skulls and them letting us know he's going to have interviews throughout the evening. Yeah. We go back to JR and Bob to preview the show. And then they throw it to the newest member of the crew, Chris Cruz. Letting us know he's going to be getting some interviews as well. He's yeah, he's doing double dutes, double dutes with uh with old BC, or not Bob Cottle with with Gordon Sully, Gordon Sully, yeah. yeah. And we head off to our first match. You could call it that. Captain Mike Rotunda versus the Z Man. Who's the Z Man? It's Tom Zink. Last time we saw Tom Zink, he was part of the Can Am Connection with Rick Martel at WrestleMania 3. Did he do anything? Um, he was Tom Zink. Well, I just remember was like I remember he the, was in, it was in the very was, opening it was, match. It was in Canada, so they like put some No, WrestleMania, no, 3, WrestleMania 3, was 3 was not. Never mind. Yeah. It was in Detroit. Uh him and Rick Martel did this uh, did the opening match. I don't remember who it was against. But if you want to hear more about that, it's in episode 11. I mean, I can't remember it, so maybe you should go back. Maybe, maybe you should go back. Should we pause and listen to it real fast? No, no, like they should go back. Yeah, you like, should definitely go back. Shoot me a text, 405. I'm kidding. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. Hit us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let us know what you think of uh, Can Am Connection. Z- <laughs> can yeah, sure, connection. yeah. Hashtag Z Man. Yeah. Man, so the- <laughs> fuck, dude. <laughs> should we just skip this one? Continue, sorry. <laughs> so the match starts lots of waist locks, headlocks, shoulder tackles to start. The crowd starts chanting that Captain Mike, which makes Rotunda mad for some reason, acts like he's going to leave. But I think it's because he's the heel, so maybe that's why it makes him mad. They they chant Syracuse sucks, right? No, they chant just Captain Mike. Captain Mike. I was trying to figure out what it was, and I was like, Syracuse sucks. I was like, but is he a Syracuse? Syracuse? Yeah, he's from Syracuse. Okay. Maybe there's a Syracuse sucks, or maybe I just conflated it because I couldn't figure out what it was. Captain tosses Z-Man to the ropes, does a leapfrog, a hip toss, misses an elbow drop as Zink moves, and hits a drop kick to send Rotunda to the floor. Mike with a cheap shot and tosses Z-Man to the floor, and Zink is back on the apron, hits a sunset flip for a two count. 
Captain bails out of the ring to break the momentum once again. Rotunda tosses Z-Man to the ropes. They do a do si right into a hammerlock by Zink. It's probably the coolest move of this entire match. Just uh, this right now. This there's a guy. It's a show. The front row clap guy. You can hear his claps in every like, especially these quiet matches that nobody cares about. And he is fucking. So it means you can hear him in most of the show. He's there, uh, and like, it's probably the the most endearing thing about this whole match is him clapping or being excited at all about whatever this is. Captain adds a head scissors to the rotation of wear down moves, grabbing the ropes for leverage. The ref finally catches Rotunda and makes him break the hold. Z-Man's running the ropes and is thrown to the floor by Mike. Rotunda follows out to the floor, slams his head on the apron. And then the captain brings Zink into the ring with a vertical suplex for a near fall. Locks on the ab stretch, again grabbing the ropes for leverage. The ref once again makes Rotunda break the hold after seeing the leverage. And this time, Captain locks on a reverse chin lock. But Z-Man escapes with elbows, starts running the ropes... But Rotunda hits a flying clothesline. Even in this match, JR even says the words very basic. Yes. Which is <laughs> really fucked up. Mike with an Irish whip attempts a drop kick, but Zink holds onto the ropes to make him miss. Z-Man then with an Irish whip follows in with a back elbow, drives his face to the mat. Another Irish whip, but Rotunda jumps on the second rope, flying off with the crossbody, but Zink rolls it over for the pin... And the win. Wasn't there like a weird, a weird whack-ass like pile driver-esque spot? I think I would have mentioned it if there was, and I don't remember. I have a note for it, and I'm like, I know there was a weird spot, and I was like, I don't know what that is. But it was like kind of from a pile driver position. It doesn't matter because this match is not good. But I'm just curious because I was just curious of what the fuck it was. Chris Cruz is in the back with Bruno Sammartino. Chris asks him, anything as difficult as refereeing a match? And Bruno goes, no, this is very unique. Anything and everything goes. It's going to be up to Anderson or Gary Hart to bring a conclusion to this match. He's like, yeah, I'm just here. That's basically what he's saying. I'm cashing a page. He's got a good looking arm. That furry ass arm. He's, looking, he's still still looking pretty, pretty jacked. Yeah. And we head off to our second match of the Midnight Express with Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton and Dr. Death Steve Williams with Jim Cornette versus the Samoan SWAT team of Fatu, Samu, Plus, and the Samoan Savage with the big kahuna Oliver Humperdinck. Uh, the biggest question I had, where did Paul E. Dangerously go? I don't know. Where did he go? I think he just decided to quit managing. That's what I could find. Oh, really? He was like, I'm done for now. I think he left the WCW. Anything's better than Humperdinck, that's for sure. And I was just like, what? I think like, I, that was the only thing that yeah. was interesting about the Samoan SWAT team for a long time. I think I came across a photo of like, maybe it was like Sullivan and uh, and Humperdinck, but Humperdinck like as a wrestler. So he's like wearing like the onesie. Mm-hmm. It was pretty interesting. And maybe like, because we will see woman later in the show. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that like, Kevin Sullivan's been like teasing this evil thing, but for I think a long, that, long time. But for a long time, but I think that he might have been more evil at some point before that we just did not have on tape. Well, like at Starcade, based on some of the photos and stuff. Four, I think he it was doing like a like a devil 
worshiper gimmick. Yeah, but it's weird because he'll like do makeup on his face, but he's wearing like yellow trunks and stuff. But there's some photos that are like pretty awesome, like evil looking shit. And I just haven't really caught a lot of that. But I'll show you some of the photos later. They're neat. So Samoan Savage is the former Tama of the Islanders. Oh. And we last saw him at WrestleMania. I was trying to figure out, I was like, is I know that I did I was a I was a fan of the Islanders. A big fan of the Islanders. You were a big fan of the Islanders. Unfortunately, he doesn't island up. No. In this match. Haku Kings up. Yes. Tama goes to the NWA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he swats down. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The Samoan SWAT team is actually brought out by some fire dancers. Yeah, that was cool. No, they are swinging the flames. So, but no, like like Fatu and Samu are actually like swinging. Oh, it was them. I thought it was. I thought it was just dancers. That no, were no, there's side. like they're they are like because there's one where I think uh, oh oh Rikishi oh Rikishi almost like drops the thing, but it's like they're throwing the fire, oh. and I thought it was really weird. I guess I just missed that. Maybe I'm crazy, but I was like I can't believe that they're throwing the fire. <laughs> Those are wrestlers. So this match actually like everyone gets to the ring, and then it feels like it takes for ever for this match to actually get started. Yeah. Because they continue to just like look like they're going to brawl and then they don't. Yes. And then they go out onto the floor and it looks like they're going to brawl but then they don't. And it would mean and that would be okay if it was a, a hot feud but it's like the second match after we, but a we've bad se- match. We've seen Midnight Express versus Samoan SWAT team like um, for like the last three yes. NWA shows. Yes. And every single time we've been disappointed Pointed in the matches. It's hard to say that because it's because they're, they're both we great. both think these teams are good. Yes, just for some reason them together. It's just like for, doesn't click for yeah, us. Yeah, it's like one. Of, it's like yeah, they're both potentially. They've definitely both have the potential, but for some reason they don't click together, which is upsetting because they are very good. They're both like very like both these like obviously both these teams, but like. The SWAT team can do more than Demolition, but maybe Demolition and and like Midnight Express would have had a fucking amazing match. These guys just don't really click. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but let's find out if this match clicks better. Where's my Midnight Express Dynamic Dudes match? Uh, we might get it sooner than later, hopefully. So Lane reverses an Irish whip, a back body drops, and clotheslines the Savage out to the floor. And again, an almost brawl on the floor happens between all six men. Express with double back elbows on Savage, but the Samoan rakes the eyes of Eaton, and Samu misses an elbow drop. Bobby with slaps, and again, all six men in the ring threatening to brawl. Oh yeah, that again? Samu with the Irish whip charges in with a splash, but beautiful Bobby moves for Samu to hit the turnbuckle. Dr. Death is fighting off all three SWAT team members. Lane joins he in. He clears the ring and like the crowd is hot. But I'm not. I'm definitely not. Uh, JR mentions Starcade's coming up. JR and... wants to have sex with Dr. Death, Stu Williams. Which He's... is totally fine, but I don't need to They're hear... Like best friends. I don't need to hear about it. Bud, chill. I know you want to get your friend over, but come on, man. And during the Starcade, he says... It will have the most unique format for a wrestling event ever held. And I was excited when I heard that. And Not then, knowing what it was? Not knowing what it was. You explained it to me earlier. I will not disclose that information here, but it sounds pretty cool. Williams with more right hands. Fatu is Irish whipped, clotheslined. 
Sam, Samu is clothesline, multiple shoulder tackles to Fatu. Sweet stand kicks to Fatu, tossed to the ropes, and goes for a hip toss, which is blocked and reversed into a clothesline by Fatu. Samu with a hill kick, standing drop kick, but Lane fires back to make a tag. Dr. Death with an Irish whip of Samu charges into the corner with a clothesline, rams him into an eaten fist, a snapmare followed by a leg drop. Beautiful Bobby with a flying clothesline for a near fall on Samu. Eaton's tossed to the ropes, ducks a leapfrog, and hits an elbow drop on Samu. Sweet Stan running the ropes, ducks a clothesline, and goes for a crossbody, but Fatu catches him, delivers a body slam, and then goes for a jumping elbow drop, but Lane moves. I always love a caught crossbody. Oh yeah, definitely. Also, uh, JR still putting over his boy, the 108 stitches. That's, well, all, that's, that's a, a lot, lot of stitches. That's a lot of fucking stitches, man. I don't think you can get 108 stitches in your face without like without your skull being like put back together. I don't staples. even know how you, where, where you would put those all. Yeah, Eaton goes for a bulldog on the Savage, but is thrown crotch first into the turnbuckle, and the Samoan delivers a jumping foot to the head and tosses him to the floor where the rest of the SWAT team attack him, crotching him on the guardrail. Fatu with a hip toss of Beautiful Bobby on the concrete before Williams and Lane can roll Eaton back into the ring. The cameras miss a sunset <laughs> flip by Bobby on the Savage, but Samu breaks it up. And the Samoans start working over Eaton with double teams, quick tags, trap holds, and headbutts. Oh, uh, trap hold? On Beautiful Bobby, uh, who has no trap to no, save no, his life. No, These guys, like, we love the Midnights. Not the, not the biggest body guys. No. I know, like, they are, like, they are, like... Sweet Stan looks like a miniature Lex Luger a little bit. Yeah, they're, like, obviously, like, fit. They're fit guys, yeah. but they are not, like, bodybuilders. No. Beautiful Bobby fights back with a face plant, but is clotheslined out of the ring. The Savage hits a side slam, goes for a cover, but Williams breaks it up. I love a face plant. Also love a side slam. After a double headbutt, the Savage goes for a pump splash, but Eaton gets his knees up. And beautiful Bobby's crawling along the ropes to make the hot, hot tag. tag. Dr. Death in with a double axe handle, kicks, clotheslines, power slams to the other Samoans, press slams the Savage onto the rest of the SWAT team, a power slam to the Savage for a two count, tosses him to the ropes to hit a shot to the gut, and Lane is in with a half DDT, half neck breaker. AKA a botch. See? Yeah, it's goes, just something. Goes to Looks hit. like arts. Yeah. Goes to hit the other Samoans and comes back to hit an Insiguri on the Savage for the pin, but a brawl has broken out. Cornette uh-huh. hits Humperdink with the racket on the apron. Williams and Samu are out on the floor. Fatu and Lane in the corner. Savage comes from behind to hit Lane in the back with a crossbody who falls into Cornette, and then the Savage makes the cover for the pin. And the win. What's really upsetting about all this is that we've got Jim Cornette on the outside of the ring, and we didn't even name drop him until the end of the match. That's just fucking bad match planning. I just hope these two teams don't face each other ever again. Well, there's there's cool spots in here, but this match is not any kind of like cohesive. Because there's like plenty of stuff that I'm like I'm not invested in this, but they start doing things and they start telling me a story and whether it's I'm noticing it or not, I'm 
um, invested. That's a big problem with this show in general, I feel like. But we will continue. So Gordon Soli's in the back with Terry Funk and Gary Hart. And Gordon asks Hart, how much are you willing to risk your men in the electrified Thunderdome? And Gary Hart says, absolutely and totally. There is no quitting in the JTEX organization. <laughs> JTEX. Did you get the JTEX organization? Oh, no, I don't know what that is. You got Terry Funk. Uh-huh. You got Great Muda. Uh-huh. Japanese, Texas. Texas. Well, I mean, Terry Funk was big in Japan, so I know that's why he's teamed up with Muda. Like, there was actually other people, such as I, like, Dick Slater. They they formed a, a a form of a little bit of a faction. But... Yeah, yeah. There's guy. There's like a thing for it, but you know, Terry Funk Funk looks good. He does. His, look bo- good his body it. looks great. I was like, damn, Terry Funk looks fucking good here. And they he, say Mr. J will be at ringside tonight, which. I never could find an explanation of this. I don't know anywhere. Also, they they well they talk about the tenth. They're gonna do the ten thousand watt boogie. Funk says we're gonna start a new dance craze tonight. Yes, the ten thousand watt boogie. And we're gonna get a chicken fried Ric Flair. That's exactly right. It's so good. But yeah, I was surprised. It's like fucking shit. Funk looks fucking good. He looks really good. He looks better than the last time we saw him. His upper body looks better. Yeah, it looks like he's. Worked out a little bit. So we're headed off to our third match. The Cuban Assassin versus Wildfire Tommy Rich. It's just one Cuban ass, right? It's just one of them. Tommy Rich is an NWA Hall of Famer. I mean, I guess... He actually won the world title. I mean, he's obviously very old here. He's making his comeback to the NWA. Yeah. I feel like it might not be a comeback, more of a show up. He well, shows he, he's, up. He's been away for a long, long time. Yeah. But he actually was a world champion at one point, before Ric Flair. But the, he, his song starts playing, and it's like this weird acoustic-ass fucking bullshit. I don't know. I mean, it might have just been from the <laughs> thing. but the, And then like it's the obvious pr- piss-break match, like because you can see people just like leaving. So this match starts, the Cuban attacks right away, laying in right hands, head slams into multiple turnbuckles. He does this weird lanky arm shit. He's got a little bit of a weird body. Irish whips Rich, misses a clothesline, and Tommy turns, hitting a big right hand, multiple scoop slams, and an elbow to the top of the head. I've decided that this crowd is just anti-babyface, as they are now chanting, Tommy Rich sucks. Oh, they are definitely doing that. But Tommy Rich is the face. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's a thing that, like, I mean, because I think that, that the whole NWA, like, fandom, once they all start to side with Cornette, and we start getting, like, Cornette chants and Cornette posters, everybody kind of, and everybody's been fed for so long to the heels on top, because that's been the kind of the business model. Yeah. Like, that, they all are turning the, the heel, and they're all chanting for the heel, and rooting against the face, and I think that, I think I mean I think they kind of asked for it in a weird way, but it, over a very Possibly long period weird. of time. Yeah. But Tommy Rich is not doing himself any favors. He does not do himself any favors with this match. But the Cuban assassin doesn't just, help either. He's just there. It's just here. It should be a bigger squash, quicker squash. Wildfire reverses an Irish whip to send the assassin to the corner, who jumps on the second rope and comes back with a crossbody. Rich with an arm drag into an arm lock, but the Cuban escapes, tries to throw Tommy to the floor, 
but Wildfire stops himself on the apron and delivers a shoulder block and a sunset flip for a near fall. Another arm drag into an arm lock, and sir, you are no steamboat. No. But the assassin escapes, sending Rich to the turnbuckle, charges in, but Wildfire moves, and the Cuban hits chest first. Another arm drag into an arm lock. Yeah, we know. And boring chants start. Yeah. And I was mentally thinking and in my head as well when watching this. The Cuban hits a scoop slam, goes for an elbow drop, but Rich moves, and guess what he does? Arm lock. Booze galore. Assassin escapes, locks on an arm lock of his own, and Assassin now gets booed as well. Should you be doing any kind of limb work on somebody that doesn't have a name? On somebody in a mask that's not, like, that doesn't have a name? He didn't have a mask on. Oh, yeah, you're right. But he's the Cuban assassin. Yeah. It's like, you should be doing limb matches with people that are established. You can't do limb matches with fucking nobody. Like, this should have been a squash match of, like, five minutes. And, and it's they, not... And they made it into, like, a nine-minute match where and it's they're not just e- standing around. Yeah. And it's not even a limb match because the limb has nothing to do with the pin, which we will get to shortly. Sorry for the fucking spoiler. <laughs> Rich, with a headbutt to escape, is tossed to the ropes for the Cuban to deliver a high knee. Assassin begins choking away on Wildfire, sets up for the pile driver, but Tommy reverses it into a back body drop. The Cuban, with a headbutt to the gut, hits a vertical suplex and goes to the top rope, but Rich is up, grabs the ropes to crotch Assassin. I do like the, the, the gut butt is always like the dumbest thing. It's like, headbutt the gut. Like why, why would you do that? It's like, oh, he ate a big meal before this match. Um, if I make him vomit, like, it'll be easy to pin him. Wildfire with an Irish whip delivers a back elbow, another Irish whip to the corner, and the assassin again tries the second rope crossbody, but Rich moves. And then Wildfire hits a Thez press for the pin and, and the win. win. It's a sloppy Thez press, by the way. It was a very thoppy. Sloppy. 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 It was sloppy. Um, it was as sloppy as how I just said that word. Yeah. The thing is, like, we don't. I don't want to talk about this for much longer after I've finished my thought. But Tommy is doing stuff that you would not assume of him based on looking at him. He's just not doing any of it particularly well. He's doing it better than I can do it, better than you can do it, better than some people can do it. But he is doing it. I think the problem is, is he's working a 1982 match. I think in he, 1989. I, I think he does. He's his. He's got some more movement than I would have expected. Either I way, mean, I've seen a because I watched some like old NWA TV around the time of Starcade '83, '84, and he was on there yeah. some, and he looked good, but he's literally doing the same exact stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's just like this is his. This is his match. It's like, oh, we just work my match. And so, like I said, I think he's working an 82-83 match and uh, not an 89 match. Was it arm drag chin lock? Is that what it is? Arm drag into the arm lock. Uh, Arm drag, arm lock, arm drag, arm lock, arm drag, arm lock, Fez press, win. So Gordon Soli's in the back with the Freebirds, and Jimmy Garvin and Michael P.S. Hayes give an excellent promo. But they didn't really say a whole lot of anything. Yeah, what did they... Someone, I think they say something about, like, so many women, not enough time. 
Yeah, it's it's good. He does make reference to uh, Prince at some point, Sign of the Times. So yeah, it's good. I unfortunately we think I was just bored to bored to death from the uh, rich match that like even the free birds couldn't get me going again. It's hard. You're like 25 minutes in and you saw nothing good, so it's hard. But do you get the free birds? You and who the are the free birds. and who are the free birds about to face? So we're headed off to our fourth match. The dynamic dudes of Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas with, old with Jimmy, Jim Cornette mm-hmm. versus the fabulous Freebirds of Jimmy Garvin and Michael P.S. Hayes. Freebirds get some pyro. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah, I know. I was like, damn, pyro entrance for the Freebirds. And once again, this crowd loves the heels as the Freebirds get a huge Oh, pop. yeah. Dynamic dudes do not get any pop in this. Even show. Jimmy C. couldn't get them a pop. Dude, fucking the dude, dominant dudes do come out and they do their kid gimmick again, where they like pull a kid out of the ring and like high five him and stuff because they did like the frisbee spot. Yeah. Previously, they had their skateboards back with them. Mm-hmm. Hayes is in the ring. He does some strutting and moonwalking before they get started. P.S. running the ropes. Douglas with a leapfrog and Hayes with a sunset flip for a two count, and then a swinging neck breaker by Shane. Garvin and Ace exchanging right hands. Jimmy reverses an Irish whip, misses a clothesline, and Johnny leapfrogs a ducking Garvin and hits a dropkick. Ace has a wrist lock on Jimmy, and Douglas leapfrogs Johnny to land on Garvin's arm. The dudes continue working on Jimmy's arm until Garvin escapes by slamming Shane's head on the turnbuckle, but Douglas reverses an Irish whip and delivers a back body drop. Hayes has Shane in a wrist lock, but Douglas grabs the ropes and does a 360-degree flip to reverse the wrist lock, and then Johnny comes off... It's fucking cool. It's with, a good spot. As JR called it, an elbow to the tricep to force the Charlie horse in the upper arm. Whatever. <laughs> but this, the spot where he's, like, in the wrist lock, and he grabs the, the, the rope, rope to and then, the, the to like, for leverage, it's very good. Yeah. P.S. is tossed to the ropes, both dudes with leapfrogs. Ace hits a power slam, followed by a Shane elbow drop, and then stereo drop kicks by the dudes to send Garvin to the floor. Douglas tosses Hayes to the ropes, ducks his head, but moves as P.S. goes for a kick. Again, Hayes is tossed to the ropes, Ace with a leapfrog, a face plant, and an elbow drop for the near fall. Johnny has Garvin in a side headlock. They keep getting close to the Freebird's corner, and Ace is kicking away Hayes' hand until, until P.S. gets in the ring. Ace hits a drop kick. Hayes charges at Ace, who delivers a back body drop while still holding on to the side headlock. I know, and it's crazy. And when P.S. gets up, Johnny jumps up for a head scissors to take down both Freebirds. It's a wonderful... Little, there's some good, there's, yeah, there's good little shit fun segment there. Garvin tosses Ace to the ropes. Johnny sidesteps Jimmy... Rolls him up with a schoolboy for a two count, but Garvin kicks out, sending Ace right into a right hand from Hayes, and Jimmy hits a back suplex. Garvin with a kick and a knee to the head to send Ace to the floor, where P.S. delivers a cheap shot on the outside. The Freebirds are working over Johnny with punches, back body drops, clotheslines in the corner, and Hayes goes for the DDT, but Ace blocks it and crawls to the corner for the... Hot tag. Douglas with the back body drop, multiple drop kicks, and a double noggin knocker to both Freebirds. Ace delivers a double clothesline and dudes with the double high knees to P.S. to send him to the floor. 
They go for the wipeout, which is a double-team slingshot back suplex. But Hayes grabs Johnny's foot, and Garvin lands on top of Shane for the pin and no win. We finally get a match that does something. Yeah, we do. And for some reason, it's still not good enough, which is fucked up. I know. Because it's a good match. It's fucking, like, all four of these guys are great. They're all absolutely great. And, like, P.S. Hayes does the dance and stuff. The crowd is into it. Their commentators are selling the match well. And it's great. It's just like, holy shit, you started with such a low point that I'm like, okay, I need more, even more. Like you dug a hole, and I'm yeah, just now getting like, back to yeah, you. Like, it's like, oh. Okay. It's like you dug a hole, you threw me in it, and like now I'm trying to climb out of it, but you're just like dumping water into it. I'm yeah. like, shit, man. So Chris Cruz is in the back with the Steiner brothers, and Scott says, when there are no rules, no anything in the ball game, you're playing our game. Scott ends up stumbling over his words multiple times during his promo here. And don't you just wish that Rick had the microphone? Did you like this Rick Steiner promo? Yeah, I didn't like it as much as the other ones, but I just, I love him so much. I don't know why I love him so much. Uh, it's not it's not great. I, I seriously still think that that promo that you hate, that I love, is legitimately fucking great. His talking here is better than his brother's. You can't argue that. No, because Scott stumbles over his words way too many times to like yeah. be much of any help at all. But we're headed off to our fifth match. The Steiner brothers of Rick and Scott Steiner versus Doom with Woman. Bum, bum, bum. So there's a story behind this match. It's so funny that it's just like Woman. What was old Sam Houston's wife's name? Precious. That was Precious. Yeah, it's like Precious. It's like, oh, well, we already used Precious, so I guess woman? Like, what do you, you just random one-word names? Story behind this match was that Rick and Scott had started to tag together, and a female fan named Robin had started following them around, professing her love for Rick. They would go on a date, but Missy Hyatt, who was the Steiner's manager at the time, told Robin to go away. Robin would then dump Rick and changed her appearance to a more vampy style and would end up costing the Steiners a championship opportunity, which caused dissension between the brothers. In the end, she turned on the Steiners and said they would meet their doom at the pay-per-view. Bum, bum, bum. So this is the debut of Doom. And you ask, who are those masked men? Uh, I'm pretty sure I know which one of them. I know what one of them is. What is one of them? Damn! It's, uh... This is upsetting. I was watching it, and I was like, oh, Ron Simmons. Ron one Simmons of, is one why, of them? It's like, I was like, obviously one of them is Ron Simmons, and I was like, I don't exactly know who the other one is. The other one is Butch Reed. Oh, okay, cool. Which He looked familiar, but Butch Reed is not a very memorable name. Technically, back in those days, they were the only two African-American wrestlers on the NWA roster. They were so not even Junkyard Dog. Well, no, I guess Junkyard Dog was... It was kind of gone, In and basically. out, yeah. But it was... So it was kind of obvious who it was. It's like, yeah, I know what Ron fucking Simmons looks like. He's Ron fucking Simmons. Exactly. And Butch Reed I've seen recently, but I couldn't quite nail it. It's not like... It's like, I don't think about Butch Reed. I Ron Simmons, I, I, I thought Reed. about for entirely too long, and I felt very bad. 
and you probably won't edit that out, but I asked you to because I felt bad about not remembering Ron Simmons. He was an acolyte. No, I'm just kidding. He's a lot more than that. But he was a lot of different things over a, a long time, and all of those things got over at some point. That's like, true. did he ever do anything that didn't get over that's not this? Probably not. <laughs> he st- literally, he can say one word and he gets a pop Yeah. at this point in his life. So the Steiners attack as Doom is entering the ring. Both Steiners reverse Irish whips to send Doom into each other, followed by stereo German suplexes. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. This, the synced up tag moves. So good in this. So good. So good in this match. Scott slams one of the Doomsman's head on the guardrail before rolling him in, followed by both Steiners delivering clotheslines to send both members of Doom to the floor. Don't forget our roughs. We get a lot of roughs. We do get lots of roughs. Like, Scott ends up being Scott Steiner, but, like, Rick Steiner is the man. He's no big Papa Pump yet. Simmons with the cheap shot, but his Irish whip is reversed by Scott, followed by a clothesline. A Steiner line to both members of Doom by Rick, and Simmons goes for a vertical suplex, but Rick blocks, reverses into a suplex of his own, tosses Ron towards the corner where Scott comes off the second rope with a flying clothesline. Simmons with multiple clothesline, rubber band slam, tosses Rick to the ropes, who ducks his head and allows himself to be kicked. Scott with a kick, face-first suplex on Reed, is tossed to the ropes, who ducks a clothesline and delivers a belly-to-back suplex and multiple elbow drops. Goddamn. Scott's running the ropes when Simmons clotheslines him from the apron, and Doom starts taking control with double axe handles. Scott's kicked out of the ring where Reed body slams him across the guardrail and then again by Simmons. We get a double team Irish whip into a double elbow by Doom on Scott, followed by a knee by Ron. Reed is choking Scott across the ropes. When the ref backs him away, Simmons just continues the choking. Simmons with a lat hold from the outside, which brings Rick in, allowing Butch to throw Scott over the top rope to the floor. It's a different hold there for you. Let me hold your chest muscle for Oh, a yeah. Scott comes into the ring with a sunset flip, but Reed is able to grab hold of the ropes. But Rick is there to deliver a haymaker to help Scott pull him over for the two count. There is a spot. Did they throw Scott over the top yet? Yes. JR makes a point, says the, the ref did not see Scott Steiner go all the way over the top. And I'm like, hey, dude, quit getting this NWA over the top rope bullshit over. Tried, quit trying to get this over. I was not thinking about this, but now I'm annoyed that you're trying to tell me this. Like, let's just not have that DQ anything. Like, let's get rid of this. I didn't bring it up out of respect for you. No, I mean, I brought it up because I couldn't believe that he was trying to get it over in a match that had nothing to do with it. We get a swinging neckbreaker by Butch in a near fall. Head slam into the turnbuckle, and Doom is double-teaming Scott in the corner before a power slam by Simmons and a double-team suplex Uh, for a two-count. The double-team work in this match is fucking gorgeous. Scott's in a headlock by Reed, but is slowly making his way to his corner. And right as he makes the tag, Simmons comes in the ring to distract the ref, who doesn't allow the tag. We get a spike pile driver by Doom, but Scott gets his shoulders up. Simmons Irish whips Scott, ducks his head, allowing Scott to kick him, and both men are down. Scott's crawling to the corner to make the hot Hot tag. tag. Gremlin with right hands, back body drops, Steiner lines. Scott joins the fun in the ring with a Frankensteiner. Hits a power slam, suplex on Reed. 
We see woman walking up onto the apron, distracting the gremlin. Oh, but he turns in time to catch Simmons with a right hand. Woman then puts something in Reed's mask in the corner. She, she, loads, she loads the mask, man. And Reed delivers a headbutt for the pin and, and the win. win. Uh, and this match is great. The loaded mask is always upsetting and annoying. But it makes enough sense here, I guess. They put it out in front that it, yeah, it totally made sense. Yeah, so it was... I it didn't was have ca- any problem with it. The camera was on it, and we knew it was there, blah, blah, blah. But, like, the Steiners definitely win the match as far as, like, they are super over. We just got to see our first Frankensteiner. Yeah. Oh, shit. It's like, that was great. I'm like, you have a move named after you. You're fucking awesome. Well, what are the Steiner on? It's just a clothesline yeah. by Rick Steiner. We then head to the back. Gordon Soli's there with Lex Luger. Luger's line is, This is when you see why I am the premier wrestler alive today and why I stand above the wrestling world. The wrestling world is at my feet. I am the champion of the 90s. I will be champion as long as I want to be champion. And then as he walks away and Gordon Soli's like, Well, he's... Have been the champion twice, so you put that together, <laughs> which is really funny. It's like Gordon Soli throwing shade, like you have what, but yeah, like Gordon Soli was like, well, he's been he's a two time champion, so like you do the math or whatever. And that's it's like really basically his line. He's like he's lost before, he's lost. yeah. I was like, God, and Gordon Soli doing it because he's like so fucking old. like Gordon Soli's been dead longer than I've been alive, I think at this point. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, like maybe not exactly, but like he's a he's an he's an old man here. So we're headed off to our sixth match. Flying Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger in an NWA United States Championship match. We see cheerleaders follow Pillman out to the ring. To booze. Very much to booze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because once again, this Philly crowd is weird. And Luger gets probably the biggest pop so far of the yeah, night. Yeah, it's, it's opposite day where like AW or NWA has been doing heels over faces and that's been their like style whereas like yeah. wwf it's always been like faces have belts yeah faces always have, have the belt. belt here heels have always had belts but for so long those because it's been fucking like 12 years of heels having belts and the heels being the like the cool bigger ones. performers and the ones that come out second and stuff that that we get to this point where like Ric Flair is no longer a heel, he is a face. Lex Luger is no longer a, a face. heel. He's a, a heel. Dude. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like. But shit. he's getting a bigger pop than he ever did when he was a face. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, we loved him. We were getting to know him as a face. You turned him heel. We still love him. Exactly. And yeah, it's it's fun. It's just one of this like kind of like opposite effect. Yeah. Because like you don't want that, and like even. When I go to shows and I love a heel, I typically boo them. Unless... I still boo a heel just because of the fact that that's the response that yeah. they should get. Except for there was one I went to a, a except for Adam Cole. Adam Cole gets a cheer. Adam Cole's gonna get a cheer because Adam Cole's a face. Baby. But I uh, I cheered. I went to a house show and I cheered Samoa Joe. It was like Samoa Joe. Not and like... Samoa Joe. But I was you cheering Samoa Joe and everybody was booing him and there was like some little kid in front of me with his like mom and she was just like on her phone and she had like he had like a brother or two with him. And he turned and around he, and was like, You 
You can't cheer Samoa no, Joe. No, no, he said, he said, Samoa Joe sucks. He yelled that to me, and I said, Samoa Joe is the meanest man. <laughs> Which is, that was my response to him. It's like, normally I would have booed Samoa Joe, but like, everybody was booing him. I gotta fight back. I love, I love me some Joe. So I uh, did that, and that little kid, and I was like, I'm not gonna curse at this kid. It's just a fucking wrestling house show. Just having a good time. Yeah, but, don't, don't but, curse at a little kid. No, I would never do that. But like, just saying, no, Samoa Joe is the meanest man. I was like, oh, I'm glad. It's like, that's the nicest and funniest thing I could have said. So this match starts off. Luger gains control early with a head slam to the turnbuckle. A scoop slam throws Pillman to the floor, but Brian jumps right back in to tackle Lex to the mat. Pillman Irish whips Luger to the corner, delivers a back body drop, a drop kick to send Lex to the floor, and then does a drop kick through the ropes. It's a lot. That drop kick through the ropes is like barely caught on film. Brian goes out to the floor, chopping away at Luger before rolling him back in to attempt to air Pillman, which is a springboard clothesline, but Lex rolls away in time. Springboard moves are better than like all other moves. I agree. I love them so much. Flying Brian begins chasing Luger on the outside, but Lex rolls in and kicks Pillman as he gets on the apron. Luger with an elbow to the back of the neck, raking Brian's face across the ropes, right hands, kicks to the gut, tosses Pillman to the corner where Brian jumps up and over a charging Lex, runs to the opposite turnbuckle, and comes back with a top rope flying crossbody for a near fall. Uh, so good. I love that. It's a hard spot to say out loud. Very easy to watch. But like, it's like, how do you write this down? Very carefully. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh... He whipped him into the corner, but he hit the second rope turnbuckle and spun and cut. It's like, oh, shit. Like. Pillman goes to the arm lock after an arm drag takedown, but Luger escapes with a knee. Lex tosses Flying Brian to the ropes, goes for a hip toss, but Pillman flips over and delivers a drop kick, a hip toss, and another arm drag back into the arm lock. Working, working, working that torture rack down. Luger's running the ropes, Brian with a leapfrog, another hip toss, a drop kick, and another arm drag into the arm lock. Now I know, in the Tommy Rich match, we complained about yes. so many arm drags into an arm lock. But, but they, guess what? This matters. This is good. Yes. And it matters because... You're working... Luger does the torture rack, so yeah. you've got to work the arm to we wear don't it know. down. We don't know Cuban Assassin's move. We all know that Lex Luger does a small a, We all know that Lex Luger does a torture rack. Uh, yeah, <laughs> fucking fuck you for that joke. That's good. <laughs> uh, Lex Luger is not going to small package anybody. No, he's going to total package you. Uh, not the face. <laughs> we see Pillman's cheerleaders out in the crowd trying to get the crowd behind Brian. Too late. That's 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 only going to make you look more heel. It's not happening. Uh, forcing people to like you is a bad idea. Lex escapes the arm lock with a right that staggers Brian, delivers an axe handle to the back, tosses him to the ropes. Pillman leaps frogs a ducking Luger and goes running to the opposite rope, ducks a clothesline there, and comes back with a crucifix pin attempt for a two count. Back to the arm lock after another arm drag, but Lex makes it to the corner, Irish whips flying Brian to the corner, charges in, but Pillman gets a boot up. But Flying Brian goes to the top rope for a splash, but Luger moves. And Brian hits hard in the middle of that ring. Yeah, he does. Also that crucifix pin. It's like, fuck. Wasn't ready, ready for that. So good. 
Lex tosses Pillman to the ropes, hits an upsy daisy face first plant. <laughs> he lift, it kind of just like lifts him up and then just drops, drops him, him down, face down. first. We get a rubber band slam, begins to taunt the crowd. Another Irish whip to deliver a clothesline. More taunting. Flying Brian fighting back with chops, tosses Luger to the ropes, ducks his head, allowing Lex to hit a knee and multiple clotheslines. Lex is kicking away, elbows to the back of the head, stalling vertical suplex. Mm, I love the stall, man. It's something about that. It's like you're holding them up, and it's like a little bit of the shake. It's a little bit of the strength. And All the like, blood rushing to the head. Is, even the blood rushing to the head doesn't even part. And it's just like the visual is so good. It's like you're holding on by their like side of their pants and like, their trunks or whatever. And it, the grip is strong and it, it looks good. Multiple elbow drops. Tosses Pillman to the floor. Flying Brian's back up on the apron. Luger hits a clubbing forearm across the chest. But Pillman with a shoulder block and a sunset flip for a near fall. Lex charges in for a clothesline that Brian ducks, sending him flying to the floor. Once back in the ring, Pillman with mounted punches in the corner, but Luger powers out with an inverted atomic drop, sets Brian up on the top rope, and begins to ascend the ropes for a superplex. But Lex is pushed off, and Pillman stands up on the top rope to hit a sunset flip for a two count. Uh, So many sunsets. Does anybody win with a sunset flip? We haven't seen one in a while. <laughs> like anybody that's not Dragon. Chops, tosses Luger to the ropes, hits a flying back elbow, flying Brian Irish whips Lex to the corner, delivers a back body drop, goes for another Air Pillman, and hits it. Woo. Goes for the cover for the Luger gets his foot on the ropes. Reverse neck breaker, Brian up to the top rope again, misses a missile drop kick as Lex moves. Luger tosses Pillman to the ropes, misses a clothesline. Brian comes back with a fez press, but Lex catches him, falls backwards for the rubber band flapjack, makes the cover for the pin and And the win. win. And I love when people go out to the ring without any managers, especially at this point in time. There's always a manager. The manager keeps going out there, and here we have like Brian and Lex, and they're just there. I really like this match just for the sheer fact that Pillman gets a lot of stuff in. Yeah. Luger sells for him. Yep. And he makes Pillman look like a... Good. A... Threat. Good threat. So if they have another match... Because, like, most people would see this these two guys and go, yeah, Luger's not losing this match. Yeah. And, he's, and he's, he doesn't lose the match, but he also wins it in a, like, contest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He doesn't win it on a fluke or some bullshit. He wins it in a like legitimate contest. We go to the back. Chris Cruz is there with the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering, and Hawk says, "We've been underdogs all of our life." And I literally went, "You have? <laughs> you have? Yeah." It's like, like you're oh, uh, you're a big dude. Yeah. I don't think you've been underdogs for much of your life. They do a thing where it's like, "Who builds buildings?" And it's like oh, people I, do. I got this. Oh, okay, okay, I got okay, this. okay, okay. Got it. So, Hawk and Paul Ellering kind of do this back and forth thing. Who builds skyscrapers, Paul? People, People do. do. Who tears them down? People, People do. do. We're a couple people that are going to reduce them to rubble. Alright. It was good. Yeah, it was good. It, it was, was pretty fun. cool. It was fun. It was fun. 
So we're headed off to our seventh match. The Skyscrapers of Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious with Teddy Long. They, they dropped the N and the Y. He used to be Danny Spivey, right? I mean, they probably still call him Danny at some point. Yeah, they I dropped just... it to Dan because, like, also, Spivey is, like, the worst name, and I hate it. I've probably talked about this. And yeah, I will you have said that before. I'm sure I will continue to say it. Versus the Road Warriors of Hawk and Animal with Paul Ellering. Before this match started, I thought earlier in the show they advertised it as a Skywalker's match, and I was like, no, we can't have guys this big doing a match that boring. Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah. I swear, I hope I never see a Skywalker's match again. <laughs> Shit, yes. I, I agree completely. So there's a little bit of a story behind this match, as yeah. uh, the Road Warriors were still mad at Teddy Long for costing them the world tag team titles in the match, basically, that we didn't get to see where Teddy Long uh, turned heel. Yeah, yeah. We, and, we, we've, been, we've been watching this happen. We know that we love Teddy the ref. We're digging Teddy here, but I kind of wish he kept that long, ratty hair. Because <laughs> he kind of, like, gained some weight. Gained some weight and, like, sh- and cleaned it up. I like my ratty Teddy Long that was, like, playing to the audience. He's still playing to the audience. He's definitely still playing to the audience. Just a different way. Yeah. And, obviously, if they're mad at Teddy Long, what's the best way to get back at him but to beat the team that he's managing? Yeah, of course. So that's why we have this... This skyscraper Road Warriors match. And Teddy Long comes out. He has some kind of key in his hand. He got a key to the city or something. Foreshadowing, right? Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Why not? To be honest. I mean, key or loaded mask? Uh, Let's go key. Yeah, it's cooler. Looks better. Makes more sense. Easier to see on television and easier to see in a live setting. We see Hawk and Sid nose to nose or nose to forehead. Before the match starts. Like, fuck, we know the Road Warriors are big, badass motherfuckers. Yeah. But they look like... They look small. They look like junior heavyweights compared to... Yeah, it's like them next to the skyscrapers is kind of like Brian Pillman, extremely jacked. Yeah. Very fit. But Lex Luger has like fucking four inches on him, who is also extremely fit and super jacked. And this is kind of the same thing where it's like, oh... Road Warriors to Skyscrapers is kind of like filming to Luger. Granted, I guess nobody in this ring looks as good as either of those guys. No. Definitely none of them are as handsome as uh, Brian Pillman. Definitely not. <laughs> no. We see a dude in the crowd with a Road Warriors mask. It was kind of frightening. <laughs> the actually, the mask, yeah, the mask. It was, was a mask. It wasn't. Yeah. His face wasn't painted. It no, was a the mask. mask. It's not a good looking mask. No. Match starts, an animal reverses an Irish whip from Spivey, delivers a clothesline that is no-sold, and that animal comes off the ropes, delivers another clothesline to take Dan over the ropes, but Spivey just falls to the mat and rolls to the floor. Hawk comes off with an axe handle as animal has a wrist lock. Spivey and Hawk with multiple no-selling of shoulder tackles until the road warrior hits a flying shoulder tackle that sends Dan to the floor. Hawk's tossed to the ropes, ducks a Sid clothesline, it actually looks like he just missed, but Hawk did a good job covering for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Turns and hits a clothesline of his own that only knocks Vicious down for a second. Like, there's... We were talking about Zeus no-selling. This, is, this match is all no-selling. Yeah, it's like a little less blatant. I mean, it's blatant, but it's not as, like, insulting. You know what I mean? This is a strong style match right here. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a chop fest. Exactly. 
Hawk is tossed to the corner. Sid charges in for a splash, but Road Warrior moves and Vicious hits shoulder first on the turnbuckle. A double-team Irish whip of Sid to hit double back elbows by the Warriors to knock Vicious to the mat, but he's right back up. Bum, bum, bum. Animal is Irish whipped to the ropes by Vicious, ducks a clothesline, and hits multiple shoulder blocks that are no-sold. Do you see that fucking ring shake? Yeah. Dude, there's... We've already passed it, but I think it's Animal gets whipped, and the ring, like, shakes in an upsetting way where you're like, holy crap. It moves, like, a full six inches, like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap, man. Blew my mind. Sid charges in for a clothesline, but Animal ducks, hitting some shots to the gut, and delivers a flying shoulder tackle to knock Vicious to the floor. Hawks back in, challenges Sid to a test of strength, where Vicious overpowers the Road Warrior to the mat, but Hawk fires back, hits a monkey flip, and a clothesline in the corner. Yeah, his, his uh, return to that TOS was nice. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool. It's like, oh, yeah, you're losing this, but his fire up was, like, believable enough. Animal dominates Spivey for a moment, but Hawk tags in and gets caught in the corner. Sid takes Hawk down with a hip toss, but the Road Warrior reverses into a head scissor, which Vicious kips up out of. Yeah, like he kips kip up. Let me say that again. Vicious <laughs> kips up out of a head scissors. Yeah. Delivers a clothesline and a helicopter slam. This is really upsetting, and it looks... It looks, it looks dirty. Awesome, but it looks, it looks like I said, it looks violent. Like, when you say dirty, I'm like, no, that looks like that he could have been very hurt. Yeah, if you don't land perfectly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and man. when you're flinging off of someone's shoulders like that, like, you're, yeah, you're this spinning is a, and trying to make sure that you land back first. Yeah, on some two-by-fours, this is all gamble. Spivey with a side slam tosses Hawk to the ropes, who delivers a clothesline, but Dan is up with a baseball slide to send the Road Warrior to the floor, where Vicious power slams Hawk onto the guardrail. Once Hawk is back in the ring, Spivey hits a stalling vertical suplex, and the skyscrapers hit an Irish whip-assisted clothesline in the corner, followed by a knee in the corner by Sid. The crowd's trying to fire up Hawk, but Vicious is too much, and the skyscrapers continue to work him over. And what's weird is, like, we get Road Warrior pops, we get Spivey booze, but we also get Sid chance. Chance, yeah. So it's like, what the fuck do you guys want? Spivey goes for a suplex, but Hawk reverses it into one of his own, but the skyscrapers stop him from making a tag. Hawk picks up Sid to make it close enough to make the tag, but I assume Spivey or Long did something... Because the camera doesn't catch it. Yeah, yeah. Because the ref doesn't allow the tag, forcing Animal to get out of the ring, giving the skyscrapers more time for double-team maneuvers. Dangerous Danny, with a splash in the corner, goes for a second one, but Hawk gets his boot up and hits a clothesline. Finally makes it to the corner for the... Hot tag. tag! Animal in with a kick, drop kick, flying shoulder block to Spivey. All four men are in, brawling away. Animal hits a power slam on Vicious, goes for the cover, but the ref is trying to break apart Hawk and Spivey. Teddy Long gets in the ring, and Paul Ellering jumps up on the apron. Ah, uh, did we even remember Paul Ellering was here? Do we ever remember Paul Ellering is here ever? No, he never no, does anything. No, he is he is uh, less silent, manager. less less memorable than Humperdinck. Possibly. <laughs> Which is fucked up, because Humperdinck at least looks weird, so you remember what he looks like. 
He makes Gary Hart look like fucking Bobby Heenan, which is fucked. Long ends up hitting Ellering with the key, then tosses the key to Spivey, uh, who hits Hawk. The key toss is great. It's gold. It's big. We get it. But the ref sees the key. Hell yeah. And calls for the bell. Dan throws Hawk into the ring post shoulder first, and then hits Animal with the key, and both skyscrapers continue the attack on Animal. Hawk comes off the top rope with a flying clothesline on Spivey, who drops the key, and then Hawk and Vicious are fighting over it. What are they going to do with that key? Hawk hits Sid with the key, turns and lays out Dangerous Danny as well to clear the ring. And the official announcement is the Road Warriors by DQ. Fine. Cool. Yeah, exactly. That was fine and cool, I guess. These two teams, I just, like, they just no-sell each other. I, I don't feel like you can get over either team. There's there's moments. I It's hard to remember if I mean, Sid literally, or Spivey... Like, the kip out and the helicopter slam. Other than that, this match is just the two teams brawling well, the thing is, and no-selling. Like, you, you remember the Road Warriors because it's the Road Warriors, but it's like, did Sid and Spivey do anything? Who did more? Or they, like, both did... Nothing and let the Road Warriors call the match. I don't know. We go to the back. Ric Flair, Sting, and Ole Anderson are there with Chris Cruz. Ole, 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 Ole. Chris Cruz asks, at what point will you throw in the towel? Never. Anderson responds, I had this towel wrapped around my arm like ten times. There is no way. Yeah, he's like, I stapled it to my taint. It's going nowhere. Flair says, Sting and Ric Flair stand for a cause tonight, and the cause is the end of Terry Funk and the Great Muda. Sting says something, but it doesn't... It was nothing. What does he... Does he say anything? He doesn't say anything. Does he say anything good? He talks, but he doesn't say anything. Does he? But I like to think that he might... Maybe he would. I don't know. But what really matters here... Is Ole Anderson has the towel wrapped around his fist... Ten times. Yeah, that totally fucking Not matters. Not five. That totally matters, Matthew. Ten times. Uh, the cage is hashtag electrified. <laughs> question, yeah. Que- question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Let's get there. Let's ellipses. Get there. <laughs> so our eighth match, the Great Muda and Terry Funk. Oh, so stoked. We were so stoked on on this, right? Totally. Holy shit. Like, after the brawl that happened at the end of Great the, American the, Like, match? the, the Muda build. The funk fucking Ric Flair match was amazing. Exactly. I'm... Sting Muda was great. Sting Muda... Well, Sting Muda was... Except for the finish. It was great. But, like, Flair and Funk, just thinking about it, I'm like, holy shit. I took that for... I took... I wasn't ready for it, and I took it in, and I needed it again. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't happen very often. Like, I'm not one to rewatch a movie, but I kind of want to rewatch this small thing that happened. Unfortunately, I might skip this one. Well, let's find out. <laughs> Gary Hart's out there as Muda and Funk's second. Gary Hart walked the ring. Sting and, uh, and they're going to face Sting and Flair with Ole Anderson as their second. That brawl. That previous brawl. It went on forever. With Bruno Sammartino as the special guest referee in a Thunderdome cage match. Did the mo- did like Beyond Thunderdome come out in eighty in like eighty eight or early eighty nine? I have no clue when it came out. I like I'm a big Mad Max fan. I love George Miller. 
that's like the least good movie. Yeah. Easily. But it's like, why would you? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's all so weird. So the Thunderdome cage mm-hmm. is electrified. At the top? Supposedly. Yes. At the top. And there are no doors, so there is no escape. And it's like, not like a chain link fence. It's like big squares, steel cage. Like, yeah, maybe it's like, like six. It's like the old WWF yeah, steel yeah. cage. But uh, it, it kind of like goes up to the top and then like curves in. But they put a bunch of whack ass Halloween shit all over it. Basically, it looks like a hell in a cell, but there's no ceiling. And the roof is slanted, slanted inwards, yeah, yeah. like you said. Yeah, but the, like the they put a bunch of like whack ass Halloween stuff on there, yeah. and they're like it's electrified towards the top. And something catches on fire at it's the funny. top. Well, the fire is real, but somebody puts it out. I think Tommy Young climbs up there, but then Muda actually climbs up as well. Yes, and spits I caught his that. Mist it's like they put the it. well, basically like there was a a fire, and somebody went up there and put it out, and then Muda went up there. And it was just badly timed. And he, like, spit his mist on it. So, like, it was, like, just smoking at that point. And then he, like, put that out with his mist. But he didn't actually put out a flame. But you know that's what they planned. Yeah. And basically, to win this match, your manager had to throw in the towel. Yes. And neither or of the them... Or the opposing they, manager had yeah, to throw in the Yeah, they both towel. said they're not going to do it. Exactly. And we have, you know, Ole Anderson... On the uh, flare side. And and he has no motivation to throw in the towel. While Gary Hart, as we're continually told by JR and Bob, mm-hmm. that his money makers are in the ring. And so if they get hurt, Gary Hart's losing money. So he has emotional, or he has and financial only, oh yeah. stake in and this And only match. Anderson's like, ugh. I'm friends with them. It's like I'm not. I'm not totally Blanchard good. I'm not WWF good. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll be here. So the cage is lowered. Everybody's in the ring, and then we start a regular tag match, basically. Yes, which is very weird because. And, and if you've listened to this show long enough, we don't like this. We do not like tag matches in cages. No, you. That's a brawl, not a cage match. It's a tag match in a cage. It should be that's no DQ match. It's a no DQ match, so it does not matter. And what we'll find out, luckily, what we'll find out is that happens pretty soon. This match does not stick to stick to the tag match rules for very long. It does not. It starts that way, which is kind of annoying. But hey, whatever. It was eighty nine. It gets us started. It was eighty nine. Shit's got to change. They're changing it here. So the match starts. Flair sends Funk into Sting to clap his ears, followed by Nature Boy Chops. Muda pushes Bruno, so Bruno pushes him right back, letting him know that's not going to fly. Funk and Flair exchange scoop slams, and then Natch power slams Terry out of the ring. Sting is in, tosses Terry to the outside, follows after to the floor, picks up Funk, and rams him into the cage. Yeah. Basically, these... The holes in the cage are large enough for you to basically be able to fit through. No, they're not that big. He was able to get his entire head and shoulder. Oh, really? Through the cage, or at least Muda was. Yeah, but Muda and Ric Flair. Muda's a little bit smaller. But he's not like dimension-wise, like you know, Ric Flair does have a pretty big head, <laughs> but. 
Flair and Sting then with a double team back elbow on Terry. Nature Boy with multiple Irish whips to turnbuckles, chops, running knee drop, slaps Muda on the apron as Funk rolls out to the floor. Muda comes back in to brawl with Flair, but Sting is in to hold Muda before sending him to the outside. Sting with a drop kick on Terry, but falls back to the corner to make a tag. Sting starts beating on Muda with a military press slam, throws him onto Funk, and then hits a vertical suplex. Flair in with a snapmare, rabbit punches to the top of the head, an inverted atomic drop, another snapmare, and a running knee drop. Sting tosses Muda to the floor, follows down, and slams his head on the cage, and then has his head in one of the holes in the cage, just pressing his neck against it. Funk is overhanging onto the cage when Flair pulls him down to begin brawling on the outside. Sting and Muda back in the ring, Muda with punches to the gut, Funk back to the corner with clubs across the back, Muda with a snapmare, jumping elbow drop, leg drop, throws Sting to the outside. Muda then draws Flair into the ring where Nature Boy starts choking Muda until a rake of the eyes. And then Funk is working over Sting on the outside, choking with his boot. Muda and Flair have made their way to the outside of the ring, Natch chopping away at Muda until Terry comes over with a right hand, throwing Rick into the cage. Muda hits Sting with a vertical suplex in the middle of the ring, and Funk and Muda hit multiple elbow drops until Flair is able to throw Muda from the ring and begins to pound away and give a vertical suplex to Funk. Sting is tossed to the ropes, ducks a spinning kick, hits a face plant on both Muda and Terry. We then get a rubber band slam on Muda by Sting. Flair with an atomic drop into a Sting clothesline. And he goes to lock in the Scorpion Deathlock. But uh, Funk uh, makes the save. Terry head slams Sting into the turnbuckle. Muda with a kick. And Bruno can't get Terry out of the ring. So he literally waves at Flair to be like, hey, come deal with this. It's weird because like this feud is pretty hot. And this match is not bad, but it's also really sloppy it's very sloppy it's like oh they're like doing stuff and they're doing a lot of stuff and you're talking about this stuff and it sounds more interesting than when i watched it which is really fucked up like you're talking about it and i'm like man maybe i should watch that again and i don't know if that's fucking true it it's not a great match the four amazing men in the in that ring exactly but it's a gimmick match that's not done they're not using the everything the way it should be used. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're, it's like oh, cool gimmick match not done right. But let's see if maybe they can pick it up from here. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they can. Uh, I did notice that maybe Bruno San Martino is wearing like Airwalks. <laughs> I was like, yo, what the fuck is what the fuck is shoes is he wearing? Because he's like seriously wearing like some fucking they look like fucking Airwalks, but it's like eighty nine. So Funk is definitely taking the no DQ to heart, and I appreciate it. Like, why stand in the corner? Just go and hit someone. Yeah, but Funk is made for this. Exactly. Like this is where Funk and Muda can do their best. I think that Flair, like everybody, does a good job. They just don't do as good of a job as we expect from people that are this great. Terry stalking Sting on the outside, follows him up on the apron, but they're in Flair's corner, and Funk and Nature Boy start brawling on the apron. 
Terry jumps over to the cage to get away, but Rick follows, slams Funk's head into the cage. Sting with a vertical suplex in the middle of the ring of Muda, and Muda starts climbing the cage, but Sting follows after him. Uh, Muda's climbing, tries to grab the next rung, and it shocks, shocks him. him. Yes, he, he plays the shock very well, but what's very funny... Is it's the only time that anything shocks someone. Well, what's funny is that, that Flair does it later on the other side... But he gets higher up and not shocked. Yeah, they get it's much higher like, up than yeah, yeah. this is. Like, like, he gets higher up than Muda was and shocked. And, like, I get what Muda was doing, but they just totally undid, undid it. Sting then slams Muda's head into the cage. Funk's on the cage on the other side. Flair keeps giving him elbows, grabs his leg, trying to pull him down. Terry has climbed to the very top. We have that is, cool rope. I like that rope. We're getting to the rope here. Uh, Terry has climbed to the top, dangling from a support beam, and Nature Boy's giving him chops. Funk starts to fall, but his leg is tangled up in the cage. Flair grabs a rope that literally looks like in gym class, the rope that you yeah, have to like, yeah. climb. It's like there's a lot of like weird like fucking kabuki bullshit on this cage. There's like skeletons on the cage and Bats like cobwebs and, and like cobwebs and, and it looks kind of fun from the outside. It's, it's it's hella goofy. Flair grabs the rope that's hanging and starts swinging into Terry. Sting with a press slam of Muda on the inside drops him in the middle of the mat. Funk is still dangling on the cage and Sting looks to climb to the top rope. Muda and Muda crawls under the ring. Hell yeah. That was a fun shot because I caught it and I was like they didn't catch it, that would have sucked. They caught right the end of it. Sting uses that rope to climb up to brawl with Terry, and Muda runs Flair shoulder first into the cage and a chop fest between the two. We get a back suplex by Nature Boy and locks on the figure four on Muda while Tarzan, I mean Sting, <laughs> swings on the rope to kick Funk. It's a pretty, like, holy shit. Sting is like a hella white Tarzan. Yes. I mean, I guess Tarzan is... I don't know. We don't know where Tarzan came from, do we? He grew up in the jungle. Yeah. I have no clue. I mean, definitely tan. But I'd imagine... That's just from being in the sun all day long. I'd imagine that he's the same kind of handsome and chiseled as Sting. Flair throws Muda to the floor, goes to climb the ropes to help Sting, but Muda comes from behind with a kick to the back. Sting does his Tarzan impression again, but misses... And Funk takes the rope and begins to tie Sting to the cage. Fuck yeah. Muda with the Muda lock in the middle of the ring, which is a reverse spinning toehold, bridging back for a face lock. Yeah, it looks fucking amazing. It looks really good. It's like, holy shit, like, that's some Sabre Jr. shit. I've seen other people use that move now, and I always thought it was a cool move. Yeah. And knowing now that it's a great Mo- move thing, I was like, like, oh, it's even cooler. Oh, that's even cooler. It's like, oh, you know, you know and care and love this. Like, you're not doing this move without knowing. Exactly. Uh, but, like, like Saber does those things where it's like, oh, let me take t- two and a half things and, like, smash them into one. And this is the first real example we've seen of this chronologically in our in our dive back into the history uh-huh ole anderson's up to help untie sting while funk and muda hit a spike pile driver on flare that looks great sting is untied and he leaps from the cage he does 
to the middle of the ring. He does that, and it's fucking crazy. For a crossbody on Terry. He then knocks Muda from the ring and follows after him up the cage. And it's fucking crazy how fast he does all that. We just got a spike pile driver. That should be the end of the match, right? You would think so, but there's no pins. Ole has to throw the towel. I know, I know, I know, but the spike pile driver? You'd think Flair would be and out. And sting off of the cage to the middle of the ring? Muda, I don't remember how this ends. Muda climbs to the very top of the ring of the cage, and it doesn't seem to be electrifying him. I mean, how do you electrify a dead mist man? I guess he the just same like way climbs you did up earlier. there and then he just falls off. Yeah, the, the same way you did earlier when he sold the shot. Yeah. Nature Boy with chops working on Funk's leg, a shin breaker, a running knee drop. Muda's back in the ring, receives some chops from Flair, hits a spinning kick on Sting. JR at this point mentions this match started with Australian rules, but it has ended up as a Texas Tornado match. Sure. Hey, and by went, the way, fuck you for that. It's like, what the fuck are Australian rules? That's some fucking dog shit bullshit. Muda with a backbreaker heads to the top rope for a moonsault, but the camera cuts away to Flair. And the next thing we see is Muda crotched on the top row. So I assume he didn't get the moon. Because <laughs> he not. got crotched. Nature Boy locks the figure four on Funk. Sting comes off the top rope with multiple splashes on Terry. Muda's back in the ring, starts chopping away at Bruno, who tags him to send him to the floor. Big right hand. Just boom. Gary Hart and Ole Anderson begin brawling in the ring, and send, which sends Hart's towel... Onto Bruno's shoulder, where Ole points it out, and Bruno raises the arm of Flair and Sting for the win. Cool, dude. That was pretty cool, dude. So JR and Bob recap the evening, say their goodbyes, and then we get credits. No. Roll over the logo. The most important part is that after all this, the cage rolls up, and they play War Pigs by Black Sabbath. I was like, I'm watching this on the network. And you're playing Black Sabbath, and the thing, it's not, it's obviously not, like, over the top, but I was like, I know my Black Sabbath. <laughs> like a motherfucker, like, I think that they're the be- one of the best bands of all time. And they're playing War Pigs, and you can hear it, and I think that maybe it's because the crowd is over top of it, or whatever. Also, like, we've gotten some recent Road Warriors where they come out to, like, their version of Iron Man, mm-hmm. but it is, like, they're playing uh, different notes, and it's varied enough. For it to not be a legal thing, because yep. it's not the actual song. But they're legitimately playing War Pigs. Because I was like, oh shit. But it was like, one of those things, like if you're not familiar with War Pigs, or, I mean, it's one of the bigger Sabbath songs for sure, but like, I know that song like a motherfucker, so I'm not going to miss it. But I was like, oh, weird. And I was like, how is this song here... I guess it was so far in the background that they just didn't even realize it was Yeah, there. exactly. But it's totally, totally there. It's like the other one I know I because like they do the like Road Warriors Iron Man, but they they originally came out to Iron Man and then they had their kind of like weird own version of Iron Man. Yeah. But it was, you know, technically a different song. It's kind of like when you go karaoke a song and it's like in a different key or something. But they were playing the legit version of that song and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Also, why is that one of the more interesting things from a match that I want to love? For real. It's like, fuck, man. It's like, you explaining some of these matches is more was more entertaining than me watching them, and that's fucked up. 
right? <laughs> is that not fucked up? That is fucked up. Because it's like, holy shit. Well, Michael Temple, why yes. don't you go ahead and tell us your overall thoughts of Halloween Havoc 1989. Well, we know those other uh, NWA shows we watched from 1989. 19, we, we've, I, I don't know if we've said it on here or not, but I've been saying it. Yeah, I'm sure we did. A lot. But 1989 was WCW's year. Uh, What's the first? It's still kind of like NWA, or WCW presents NWA. Yeah, but you know what I mean. But yeah, yeah, no, totally. And that's also kind of one of the special things about it, is that it's not straight WCW. This show is ass compared to the other shows. Yes, completely. Which just sucks, because those other shows were so fucking good. And there's a couple good matches in here. What are the couple good matches to you? The Steiners, Steiners, Steiners Steiner one. Doom, and the Lex Luger Pillman. Steiner Doom, Lex Luger Pillman, uh, the Midnight's not as good as I want it to be. The main event, I have it, I have issues with the main event. Which, I I think that it fucking sucks, and I don't want it to suck. And that's and that's well. That's here, here's the feeling. here's the question I guess about the main event. Yeah. If they had the production of WWF. Yeah. Where instead of both, all four people are just continuing to do stuff and yeah. you just continuously miss stuff. shots yeah. of stuff, would it have been better if like, because like in nowadays WWE mm-hmm. in in a big match, like when there's multiple people in a match, like, you know, a Royal Rumble or a, not yeah, even a Royal yeah. Rumble, but like a Elimination Chamber type match. Yeah. They usually have people get hit with a big move or something, mm-hmm. and they're like laying on the outside. Yeah, like out of the picture. And that's kind of as like two people are in the ring doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you know what to focus on. I feel like that's where this match fell apart. Is that you didn't know what to focus on. I think that I would have preferred if this was honestly. If this was a just straight tag or a two of three falls tag match. I'm kind of tired of two out of three falls matches. I am as well, but I'm just saying, like, if you don't do a straight tag match, you want to do something different, you can do that. I think two out of three falls matches only need to be in title matches. I I don't disagree with that, but I'm just saying, based on that other thing we saw recently, this has more of a reason to be that. The chaotic nature of the main event fits what they were going for after the brawl at Great American Bash. Yes. It just doesn't get to the point where it's good. I think it could have just been a straight fucking cage match and would have been better. I mean, you may not agree with me, but I would literally think that if they would have not focused on all four people at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, the the thing is, is, like, their matches are not... As, the, pr- as produced, so the they have their spots the match, and stuff. Because the ending of the match is pretty good. Yeah. Because we see the the sting leap from the cage. Yeah. But they're not. They're we not. We see riding, the lock. They're not working for television the same way that people start to. I don't think. I mean, at this point, you need to be. Though, yeah, that's but, the thing. yeah, but I mean, I still think it's evolving. I mean, so I don't. I mean, I don't know. The splashes onto the figure four, which are great. Yeah, because that tells you know we're wearing out Funk over and over again with the figure four and everything, but Gary Hart and Ole just like all of a sudden jumping in the also, ring. Also, like them throwing in fucking towels is whack. We need like a more significant win. 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't like the concept of the match to begin mm-hmm. with. Yeah. but And I knew the way that they finished it's like it. what concept that do ma- I want, That though. does make sense, though. Yeah. Because neither one of them are legitimately going to throw the towel in. Yeah. But if Ole hits Gary Hart... I get it, but it's just like... I, did, I don't want them... Why did they jump in the ring? Why did yeah. Gary Hart get in the ring? The hard part for me is like, I don't love this... But I don't know what I would prefer. So it's like, what what I what do I actually want? And I'm like, fuck, like, what is the better idea for these four guys, like these this two on two match? What is the right answer? And like, I don't think that this is it, but I also really can't come up with something that's much better. Which is kind of fucked up. Considering the like stakes and like the What feud. stakes were there? Well no, the the stakes of the feud, you know what I mean? It's not stakes like a match, but like you can't just have a regular tag match, like you said. I mean, I think you could. I th- I would prefer that, but I think that you need something a little bit more because we're talking about big guys and they just brawled. So, like, I, I would you, prefer. I don't even think you need the. I don't even think you need the the cage. For yeah, this. yeah. That's why I did the two or three thing. Like, I would prefer just a regular tag match because I think a regular tag match would be better. I just understand why they didn't do that because. And, this, and because, having, the, because, having the cage be, be electrified. Why are you telling it's electrified it's when just, it's not? It's just too like, much. That's dumb. It's just too much stuff. I would have preferred just a regular tag match. I think I would have read. And if, if the tag too. match ended in a in a like schmoz, that's fine because we can continue because you got four fucking bad motherfuckers here. Exactly. And like a match between any of these two guys is great. Like Funk Sting, of uh, Funk Muda, Rick Sting, Rick Muda. With either of those guys on well, the outside, two, two of them were on, like Funk and Muda are tagged or are in a or faction together, so they're not going to wrestle each other. No, so. no, no, that's not like no. And Sting and Flair faces, so they're not going to wrestle each other. So. Yeah, but like you have the the two guys with their singles, and they have the other guy on the outside, and like you could make this longer, but this just not the most. It's just not done very well. I mean, the first half of the show. I mean, we've complained about the main event, but the first half of the show, super slow, tedious. Yes. Don't don't watch it until, like, literally just watch the the Pillman-Luger match and, and the, the, Steiners. the Steiner-Doom match. Yep. If you want to watch the f- main event, What's fucked I, up I, is I, like, can, I can see watching it for like the, the sheer, you know, well, the, seeing, seeing four greats go at it. The last match, that last headlining match set up this match to where it should be so fucking hot and like i guess it was hot it just wasn't very good like people were hot for it it just wasn't a very i good think there was just too much going on because like, i literally was like this match is hard to follow yeah and people just kept either being thrown out of the ring and then crawling up the cage which i'm like why would you crawl up the cage if you can't escape and, they're like and doing, it's electrified. Yeah, they're doing like, like crawl like, cage spots. Yeah. I mean, Muda climbs under the ring mm-hmm. for what? I don't the know. next second, he's back out and he's brawling with Ric Flair. Him crawling into the stage is almost a high spot. I was just in, like, a, in a match with a bunch of. I totally expected him to like hide under there for a little bit, and then all of a sudden pop back up when when everyone's in the ring or something. Yeah. It was just like it's just not it's obviously not very well laid out and they're like, "Okay, well, like we built this up well 
and now we have this whole thing. We'll figure it out in the ring. And they didn't figure it out in the ring. They did not figure it out in the ring. You know, we've got the rest of 89. <laughs> Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time for us to smark it up. So what are the best moments? Um, shit. Well, I've said it a bunch of times already. Air Pillman? Pillman and the Steiners, man. The Steiners fucking killed it. I mean, I guess we can kind of even throw the dudes and the Freebirds. It's not a... Dudes and Freebirds? Not a bad match. Dudes and Freebirds has its moments, but it's more fun moments as opposed to, like, match moments. Whereas, like, Steiners is, like, all the moments are fucking match moments. I mean, the the whole Douglas 360 flip thing was cool. It was very good. Cena Frankensteiner. I love a Frankensteiner. Yes, of course. Woman... yeah, the woman was fun. I like I like that stuff. There's some good stuff in here. There's nothing great though. No, which is no, fun, definitely which, nothing which great. is upsetting because the last couple WCW like NWA WCW presents NWA shows we've watched have been really really good. Like like, like borderline I, incredible. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. which my memory is going, but I swear I said that Great American Bash might be my favorite. Yeah, no, you said that. 89. Yeah, Great American Bash 89, Old Gab 89 is possibly my favorite show that we have covered. And I can't really... I was kind of surprised that you said that, and then when you said it, I was like, I get it. I fucking get it. Yeah, and then we follow with this, and then it's just like, what? It's kind of a bummer because it's really been building up. Yeah. I just And it's not like, this is the worst, this is definitely not the worst NWA stuff. But it's just not as good as like what has been happening. No, definitely not. But I'm excited for Starcade still. I, I'm still looking for the rest of the '89. Yeah. I, hopefully they do something else. How about most disappointing? I mean, uh, that main uh, event is disappointing. It was the main it, event. It didn't live up to what we thought. The main happen. event was very disappointing. Honestly, the first match was a fucking slog. Yes. I texted I mean, you and I was like, "Holy shit." I'm waiting for this show to start. <laughs> and then I think, and we mentioned it earlier, Midnight, please never Midnight Express versus Simone SWAT team ever again, please. Yeah. I do not Great teams see, not working that well. They, they just don't mesh well, and it it's not good. I mean, honestly, it's such a, like, so unimportant that it's not even worth bringing up. Cuban Assassin and Wildfire Tommy Rich... It's, it's not, not, dis- not even it's, a match. It's not disappointing because <laughs> it's nothing. nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. It's basically nothing. Uh, but the like the show is kind of just like tag matches. I mean, basically. I mean, there's a couple singles matches in there, but yeah, it's like nothing's great and nothing's bad. I would say Steiner's and Lex Luger are the best matches, easily. Oh, easily, easily. So watch those, but you know, uh, if you've watched any of. The previous eighty stuff from eighty nine, you're going to want to see that headlining match no matter what. Yeah. So like you just watch it, but heads up, it's not that great, unfortunately. How about best performer of the night? Oh the Steiner brother, right? Yeah, the Steiner it was the Steiner brothers. They did so much like like so much in tandem stuff. Yeah. Stereo German super. Yeah. Well, they start the match Steiner with... lines, yes. Frankensteiner. It's yeah. like, oh, it's like, oh, so good. But all the, like, they were doing everything in fucking, in stereo. They were fucking mashing it up, and it was great. Outside of Pillman. So 
Bill Pillman. I, we both love Pillman. Yeah. How about most surprising? I got a couple things. Yeah. First one, where was Steamboat? I mean, it's kind of most disappointing as well. Yeah, I guess. I think he kind of worked himself out of that. I think he just came back for like a payday to go raise his kid or something. He, he had another contract dispute and left yeah. the NWA once again. Because I literally, this this show started and I was like, oh, cool, we're going to get another Luger Steamboat match. And then it was Luger yeah. Pillman. Still a good Still match. Good, yeah. But I was just like... Not the, not as good as... What a Luger Steamboat smoke. match would have been. But like, we've seen Luger Steamboat, and it was better. Yeah. This was still very, very good. And so, I mean, that's disappointing like, and Steamboat, surprising at the same Steamboat time. Steamboat is also, you know, like, at this point, way more the wrestler than, like, Pillman physically, but, like, psychology-wise. Yeah. And then the other thing is, we got Woman and Doom. Yeah. Like, that's... There's a lot about woman that yeah we we've, we've talked about we're, this we're gonna right? we're gonna try not to yeah we're gonna just try and deal with what's on the screen and not real life shit but woman I felt was great in a role here she was very like it was one of those like her like facial acting like everything like she was definitely a part of the match in a bigger way than a lot of managers are and even the camera work on her. Mm-hmm. was like more impressive than like they don't ever put the camera on Jim Cornette the same way. I wouldn't want the camera on Jim Cornette the same way. I mean, either. he's obviously not nearly as uh, attractive by any means. Yes, but this woman is very attractive. Yeah, yeah. Also, it was very surprising. I was like, oh, it's Ron Simmons. Ron Simmons. Obviously, early in this like... episode, I was like, well, I can't remember his name. But as I was watching the show, I promise you, I was like, that's Ron Simmons. Butch Reed did not notice, but I also didn't look it up. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Luthez was again the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, even if it was disputed. On November 14th, 1957, Thez would be defeated by Dick Hutton in Toronto, Ohio to become the fifth NWA World Champion. Dick Hutton, born in Amarillo, Texas in 1923, would join the Army and be a veteran of World War II. He would also attend Oklahoma A&M, now better known as Oklahoma State, where he would be a three-time NCAA wrestling champion. He would make his professional debut in 1952 after being trained by Ed Strangler Lewis and would wrestle all over the world. Dick Hutton would be champion for 421 days. Next week, Clash of the Champions 9, New, New York, York Knockout. Knockout. All right. 9. Well, the last one we covered was 6, right? Correct. Damn. So we, we're we going to have another, I think the main event's a Flair Funk batch again. Oh, so I'm we'll, down for that. So we're going to have a little bit of continuation of that feud. I'm totally into that. And music from this week's show is the theme song from Halloween Havoc 89. If you play uh, air piano, then uh, uh, yeah, you're going to love that song. And uh, Flair got the win, so we're going to hear, once again, some Spach Zarathustra by Strauss. And you can always go out there, rate, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. 
can email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Or you can always find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling, H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week.